Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent. I'm here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. Uh, today we have two special guests with us all the way from Scotland, all the way across the pond, um, coming uh, two Reformed Baptist pastors joining us today. Uh, pastor John William Noble, pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Aberdeen, Scotland, and Daniel Funk. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly, brother? Funke. Funke, okay. I apologize for that. Uh, he's pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Govan, Scotland. Uh, thank you for joining us today, brothers. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, a little bit about your backgrounds, uh, what led you to uh, the ministry um, as pastor, starting with you, John William. So I, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, which meant that my, my parents were bringing me up to know and to read the, the, the scriptures. Uh, I attended church and I, I came to Saving Faith at a relatively young age, although I always had a an awareness of the existence of God and an understanding about Jesus. And then when I understood the gospel, uh, I repented and believed. And then when I became a kind of in my, into my teenage years, I started studying systematic theology and I, I went to do effectively that at university. I did a divinity course, which focused particularly on, on topics surrounding the study of the old Testament, new Testament. And following that, I, I at that point, I had a, a fairly clear sense that the Lord was calling me to, to pastoral ministry, to preach the word of God. I'd already done it a little bit in my teenage years. So I was serving in my, my local church and getting more opportunities to preach and lead in different ministries uh, in my young, early 20s. And I worked as a, a secondary school teacher. So I did that for a while before then entering into pastoral ministry uh, a bit later in my, in my 20s. And then more recently, uh, I began a church planting work here in Aberdeen. So this is what I'm currently doing. I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church Aberdeen. Um, I've also written a couple of books. So a few years ago, I, I wrote a book called the, the Basics of Christianity. And recently I, I wrote a book called Biblical Marriage, Two Sinners and a Gracious God. Uh, so that's something I, I find find really uh, in, interesting to to, to get into the word and, and, and write in a way which is a bit different from writing for a sermon, but it's obviously a lot of the same study. Uh, I'm, I'm also involved in trying to set up a Christian school in Aberdeen. So we're in, it, it's, it's, it's been delayed because of the, 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 the COVID situation. And we were hoping it might have even started by now. So we're, we're hoping either this year or next year that we'll, we'll launch a Christian school and it's called Melville Knox Christian School Aberdeen. And I'm also the, one of the directors of the publisher, Parousia, which we're obviously going to be speaking about. Uh, I'm married, my wife is called Binglin. She's from China originally. We've been married for a number of years and we've got two young children, a boy called Amos and a young daughter called Undian. Well, thank you, Pastor. Um, that's really great. Um, just a quick question with regards to education. When you say secondary school teacher, what is the equivalent in the U.S.? Forgive my ignorance. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it would be like high high school teenager. Oh, okay. 11 to 16, 17, that kind of age. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right, Pastor Daniel, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, uh, Dan. I am originally from Germany, which is why you struggle to pronounce my <laughs> I thought you might be, um, I thought that might be some German resem uh, resemblance, but uh, yeah, forgive me again for butchering your name. Oh, no worries <laughs> at all. And uh, I, I grew up in a, 
in an environment that was quite different from John Williams. So a, a very secular home, very secular kind of part of the country, and kind of kind of grew up in that until I aged eighteen, spent a year in America as an exchange student, spent a year in Kansas, and that was the first time really I was exposed to the Bible, uh, biblical Christianity. I was exposed to the gospel, and and long story short, I eventually. The Lord gave me new spiritual life uh, once I had um, come back to Germany. I became a Christian, trusted in the Lord, repented of my sins, and um, kind of started my, my Christian life in a in a difficult situation. Being in, in Germany, kind of away from the Christians I knew, in a like I said, very secular environment, but but grew in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, started to have an interest in um, in studying the Bible in a more um, rigorous way and, and perhaps in an academic setting. And that's what eventually brought me to Scotland. Uh, I moved to Aberdeen in 2012 to study theology at the same university John Williams studied at, but a, a few years after him. And um, got married my first year at university to my wife, Monet, who's American. And uh, we lived in Aberdeen for most of my uh, kind of degree there at the very end, just a few months before graduating, moved to Edinburgh to work at the Banner of Truth Trust. And we spent a couple of years in Edinburgh, joined a, a wonderful Reformed Baptist church there. And they eventually sent uh, sent us out to replant a Reformed Baptist church here in Glasgow. So that's what we've been doing the last three years now. And yeah, that, that that's a little bit about me. What uh, what made you guys want to be church planners? Uh, what motivated that? So, not not long after my wife and I got married, so that would have been in two thousand and fourteen. We were living in Aberdeen, so I was actually working in 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 teaching at that point. I had been serving in a church, but I went back to teach for a while, and we began to really start to think and pray about the the situation and the need here in in this city in this part of the northeast of scotland because there's there's nothing reformed and baptist i mean there are mm. baptist churches affiliated with the baptist union but they 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 certainly wouldn't be reformed so we did we we, we did kind of think about this in terms of me possibly beginning a church planting work but there wasn't really a way by which that was going to materialize in a biblical way at that point as it seemed so I, I i was called to be the pastor of a church in edinburgh a few months later so i served there for a while and then by the time got to about 2016 2009 into 2017 it became a bit more apparent that the, the this was a more likely direction and i began to get to know reformed baptist churches in in scotland because i was currently pastoring in a in a what was a an evangelical church for like ethnic Chinese and people who'd been born and brought up from a Chinese background. And though, though I was able to teach, you know, the kind of biblical reformed Calvinistic teaching, the the clarity in terms of the position of doctrine in that church wasn't there. And that was, that was really evident as time went on. So I got to know of reformed Baptist churches pretty much for the first time in the context of my own country, which was a, a, a real blessing. It was a bit like manna in the desert, so to speak, because I, I was reformed and Baptist in my convictions. And th there were a, two or three different kind of 
avenues, directions I, I could have gone in at that point. But one of them was the possibility of being serving in a in a local church with a view to being equi equipped and sent out to plant a church back in Aberdeen. So this was in the, the church that Daniel mentioned, Grace Baptist Church, Edinburgh. Uh, and so the, the pastor there, Ali McLaughlin, and, and basically invited me to come with my family to join the church. And it would be a means of equipping me for a church planting work and then recognizing my, my gifts as an elder to be then sent out to begin the work. And this sounded great on two levels. Number one, because we'd already been thinking and praying about church planting prior to this, but number two, because it would have been done in a biblical way. So that, that was kind of a big thing. And obviously to have that church recognize that this is what the Lord was, was calling and setting me apart for was obviously significant. And then in March of 2019, I was prayed for and then sent to begin the work in, in Aberdeen. So that was that was a blessing. And just to say a little bit about the, the context in Aberdeen, as I've mentioned, there are no Reformed Baptist churches. There are about at least 120 churches, if you include everything that would class themselves as a church. But I would strongly state, state that there's a, a great need for a a biblically grounded church, which is Baptist in its convictions, which hmm. there wasn't before we, we came. I mean, there are a couple of Presbyterian churches that would be clearly confessional, but nothing Baptist. So there certainly has, has been a need in this regard. And, and so, yeah, it's been a, a blessing to be, be involved in this work. And for you, Daniel? For me, it, it kind of started in 2013, where I felt uh, a, a strong internal call to the ministry and from the beginning that was sort of tied to the idea of of going out and, and planting a church i was familiar just with some of the same things going on in in scotland obviously and i mean many other places in the world are in need of uh, not just churches but biblical churches and when uh, when we eventually moved to uh, edinburgh in 2016 we joined uh, what was then a relatively recent church plant. And so church planting was so much, uh, so significant uh, a part of the identity that we kind of took that on. And at the Grace Baptist Church in Edinburgh, we're not just looking at that time to uh, plant one church, but their aim was to say, how can we, how can we multiply our churches? How can we plant, replant, revitalize other churches in Scotland in particular? Uh, that, that would honor the Lord, that would hold to Reformed Baptist distinctives, that would go out and proclaim the gospel to the people in their community. And so being part of that church for a couple of years, that was something that, that we took on board, my wife and I. And then when the opportunity arose, where the need arose um, here in Glasgow for someone to come out to replant the church, uh, we were eventually approached uh, to do that, prayed about it, uh, considered it. And then, like I said, we're eventually sent out uh, to, to do this work. So it's a bit different from what John William uh, is doing and has been doing in, in Aberdeen. As for us, there was a Reformed Baptist church here that had been declining for various reasons. And so they were asking for someone to come and replant a church rather mm -hmm. than someone to come and plant a church from scratch, which is much more of what John William has been doing. Well, that's great. And I guess that kind of leads us into our next question about the state of Reformed Baptist churches in Scotland. Um, so how many Reformed Baptist churches are there in Scotland? And what do you see 
um, Reformed Baptist denomination, I guess for lack of a better term, um, is going. And someone actually had asked in the chat here, um, are there any Reformed Baptist seminaries in Scotland? I suppose it's, I mean, it's important to be realistic about the situation on one level, which is that uh, the Reformed Baptists in Scotland are, are, we wouldn't be very known in kind of the larger church circles in our in our country. There would be mm. around about a dozen Reformed Baptist churches in Scotland, and size-wise, there wouldn't be a membership of probably over thirty people in any of these churches. Now, I mean, to qualify this, obviously, I mean, what would be what we constitute as a mega church in in Scottish terms would be several hundred. I mean, if you're into the thousands, you're in the <laughs> mega church in our land. I mean, there's such an apathy to the gospel in, in, in this country, and, and it's r rapidly apparent. So, I mean, that, that, that's the, the, the kind of situation. As, as far as the churches are concerned, I mean, the ones that I know of, they're, they're, they're very solid, biblically grounded. They're obviously Reformed, Baptist, and confessional. Men and women who are serious about the scriptures, they love the Lord. Some of them, the, the age demographic would be significantly older than, let's say, Daniel and I, and that obviously is a problem because, you know, where's the next generation? But there are still some churches in Reformed Baptist circles which are a bit younger. So, for example, when we mentioned Grace Baptist Church Edinburgh, there are would be one or two others that would have a kind of younger age demographic. I, I would say that in terms of the... The kind of way forward for the scene of Reformed Baptists, I would maybe say that what Grace Baptist Partnership have been doing recently has been has been a, a significant move forward for seeing churches being planted. So Grace Baptist Partnership, in connection with our sending church, Grace Baptist Church at Edinburgh, were very helpful in supporting the works of our church plants, and they certainly would hope and pray that there would be further opportunities to see churches being planted. Uh, I was also involved in a, an initiative with Grace Baptist Partnership to do a training leaders course to teach men to prepare them for ministry and this is something that they've been doing for a number of years. Uh, we, Daniel and I both were involved in that in different capacities prior to this year also and I think that's such an important point because there are there is a there is a lack of young men who are serious and grounded for church eldership leadership and that's certainly something that we would hope and pray would be the case so in terms of the seminary question there isn't something that would be explicitly reformed and baptist in scotland but certainly what the churches that we're talking about would be very serious about is investing in training and equipping men for church leadership and we would very much emphasize that it is it is important and it, it can be a real blessing to be theologically trained to get a degree but that should be in in conjunction with and be be just a, a kind of additional point to what the local church is doing and in investing in men Amen. and ministry and this is something that i, I would say is, is, is a very clear biblical ethos that's, that's visible in our churches. But obviously, in terms of you know, the kind of desire and drive to see men being trained, to see plant churches being planted, that is there. But there's obviously, you know, there's a, a, a lack of men, a lack of people. And, and so that's, that, that, that is a factor. One other thing I would say is that, I mean, I can speak about Daniel's church as well as ours and, uh, and other churches too. 
it's very important that we're evangelistic and, and mean that. So, for example, in, in our church, I mean, the last few months have been a bit more sporadic because of the COVID situation, but we would be very active in going to do door-to-door -door evangelism. We do street preaching and street evangelism. We try to invite people to services by handing them tracts or invitations. We, we, we have initiated, for example, like a mothers and toddlers group, which is which is very much focused on teaching the Bible at that kind of age group stage and level. So everything we're seeking to do is about going to preach Christ, whether it's establishing relationships over a longer period of time in our community, or if we just see a person once for 30 seconds, we want to tell them the gospel. And that, that that's, a, that's a big thing. It's not a popular thing. I mean, it, if we go into the streets of Aberdeen, the majority of people are completely disinterested in what we have to say. And this is why being pastors who believe in the sovereignty of God, we trust and we praise God that he will draw sinners to himself as he wills. And so we, we rest in that, we rejoice in this, and this is why we're, we're very evangelistically minded as, as pastors, ministers of the gospel. So do you, so in terms of the, the crowd that you're trying to reach, is Scotland very uh, evangelistic outwardly, or I guess I should say evangelical outwardly speaking, and they're just, um, I guess, just apathetic in their church attendance and in their proper preaching of the gospel? Or is it just, or is there widespread atheism? What does that yeah. uh, um, work like? So, I, I guess many of your listeners would have a, a relative idea about what Scotland's church history, its heritage is, which is very strong. I mean, it would be more Presbyterian, but but certainly uh, a lot of biblically grounded men who have done so much. But I mean, in recent times, uh, the, the 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 state of the church has 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 become more and more apparent in terms of its its weakness. There's a there's a a lack of clarity of doctrine, even within churches that would call themselves evangelical, and many, many denominations now have literally become apostate. Uh, so that's the situation within the church. And so in our society, what we see from, for example, our government or just general attitudes and thinking is moving further and further away from anything that would be remotely biblical. Yeah, so that, that, that that's a a kind of realistic gauge of where it is here. I mean, when we've had people coming from places like, for example, America to Scotland, they've been surprised at how disinterested people have been. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Daniel, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, it, it gives you the appearance of um, of a Christian heritage, but it, mm. it, it's, in the, it's in name only. I mean, we have people in in Glasgow here who claim a strong Protestant in particular, they'll say, I'm a Protestant. Uh, they, they cling to a Protestant heritage. And yet if you shared anything about Reformation distinctives, they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. Mm. So it's that sort of environment that we're dealing with. More mm. of a traditionally I'm Protestant, even though I don't even yeah. know what that means. Yeah, and and it's tied to the, to the soccer teams. Uh, oh, really? Interesting. So, very interesting, yeah. <laughs> hey, do you guys call it soccer over there or football? Football. football. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> for your benefit. <laughs> That's right. I'm translating as I Thank go. Thank you for coming down <laughs> to our level. <laughs> um, so I, I guess um, you, you might have hit on this already, but do you guys see 
a recovery of particular Baptist history in uh, churches in Scotland. I know in the U.S. we see that here with um, the Renahan uh, Renahan family, Pastor James Dolezal, uh, Richard Barcellus, printing older um, documents from our particular Baptist forefathers. But do you see that interest in Reformed Baptist churches there? Yeah, we, we, we do. And in fact, I would, I would say that the fact that John William and I are here speaking as Reformed Baptist pastors is evidence that there is a, there is a change going on because we don't come from Reformed Baptist backgrounds. Like we didn't grow up in Reformed Baptist churches. And uh, certainly John William's uh, church in Aberdeen, a church pastor by Ali McLaughlin in Edinburgh, uh, those are churches that are that are thriving. They're small, but they're thriving. They're mm-hmm. doing things that honor God, and they didn't exist ten years ago. Mm. And so, for us in Scotland, there is that evidence of yeah, there there are great things going on. There's an increased interest in preparing men to serve in churches, maybe to serve as pastors, to serve as church planters, and the same is going on in England. There are, there are a number of uh, groups, a number of churches, a number of pastors that have a great interest in thinking about the future. How, how can we grow in, 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 in being confessional Reformed Baptist men? And, and how can we grow as confessional Reformed Baptist churches? How can we not just think about how to do what we have been doing, but how can we move forward in seeing new churches being planted, churches being revitalized, uh, churches being strengthened in, in, in terms of seeing a, a, a plurality of elders where there isn't one, mm-hmm. and in terms of seeing a, a membership being strengthened in the faith. And, and I think all of these things are very exciting things that are happening. Uh, we, we don't have, certainly not to the same extent, uh, the sort of writing emphases that you have in America, uh, but but maybe we can even be part of uh, changing that and, and and helping to put some old books back into print, but also seeing contemporary writers, uh, pastors in the Reformed Baptist tradition writing books that are helpful to the church moving forward. Hmm. Pastor John William, you gonna add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I. Uh... I'm sure we'll be mentioning a little bit more in terms of the publisher, but I, I guess, I mean, from, from my perspective also, um, I mean, I'm, I've been enthused to come alongside brothers who are in pastoral ministry who have a, a zeal to get things done. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who are in ministry who are, yeah, I mean, they're doing a good work, but they're quite settled in their context. But I would say in, in some Reformed Baptist circles in the UK, there are people who, who want to move forward to see churches being planted and being planted on a biblical grounded foundation and that that gives me a lot of hope and excitement for the kind of reformed baptist scene going forward yeah all right well and i guess this this next question kind of tags along with what we're talking about um, the reformed baptist churches in scotland but uh, pastor john william i've seen you post on current state of affairs with regards to religious liberties and meeting uh with churches in scotland um, tell us about how that's going right now with religious rights and the Scottish government as it relates to COVID. That seems to be an issue right now. Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll try to keep this brief because I, I could spend a long time talking about <laughs> it. Uh, just to give a little bit of context, I mean, some of it will be relatively similar to what's been the case in the in the U.S. Sure. But, so back back in in springtime of last year, there was a, a kind of national lockdown announced, and pretty much all the churches 
we're, we're, we're in agreement to go into lockdown at this point and to close their churches and to go online because there was an uncertainty about what this threat was of COVID-19. I mean, this was my perspective. Another thing that I was very keen to stress at this point as I was already really studying the scriptures in, in, in greater depth on this matter was what the role of the government was in terms mm. of do they have a right to close churches? So I, I stated to my membership from the get-go, this is not something that the government have the authority to do, to tell the church when she can or cannot worship the Lord. And so I wanted to kind of stress this because I wasn't quite sure where this situation would go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's certainly gone in some directions. So as, 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 as time has gone on, the, the first lockdown ended and as soon as it was possible, we were meeting even outside before we could get back into our rented premises. And we were doing that for a number of months. We were observing some kind of social distancing protocol with a view to obviously gathering in the normal way. There was a, a guideline stating that you shouldn't be singing. But again, we mm. believe absolutely that we're commanded to sing praise to the Lord. So we were doing that. And in November, there was a lockdown announced in England, but not Scotland, of churches, which was interesting. And a number of churches in England stood up against this and said they're going to keep meeting. Some of them did it secretly. And there was a, what began a legal challenge against what the government had done then. So this at the moment, uh, just to give you the, the geographical situation, the UK as a whole, we've got Scotland, England, Northern Ireland and Wales. So this was a challenge not involving Scotland specifically, but there is a connection. So it was on, on the grounds of this is going against your human rights because there's legislation in place which says that you have the, the right to, to worship, to gather to worship. So th this is a, a, an, an ongoing challenge that's taking place. But for us in Scotland, it wasn't an issue at that point. So from summertime until what was the beginning of January this year, we were re relatively free to, to, to worship. I have to say a number of churches, even even evangelical churches in Scotland, have not opened their doors for now nearly a year. Mm. Um, so that, 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 that's a factor in what I'm about to share. So what happened just under two weeks ago, the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, announced that churches would have to lock down again. Mm. And when I, when I heard this, I'd, I'd been preparing and gearing my congregation up for this for many months. And there was a few things I thought would be important to do, not just in terms of what our local church would do, but also with regards to challenging this. I mean, we, we, we've emphasised the, the threat of a, of a virus spreading and the danger it poses is something very serious. I mean, we, we, we genuinely, truly lament over the loss of life because of COVID. We also are devastated by the effects of the lockdown measures on many people on a number of levels. But we also wanted to stress that church is essential, that it is absolutely crucial that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is open. Historically in our land, churches have been open in crises much bigger than this. Mm. And at the moment, the approach seems to be very different. So we wanted to make a, 
a, a kind of statement. And so I, I, I approached another minister in, in Scotland, Willie Phillip, who's the minister at the Tron, who's got a number of contacts around the UK. And we put together a letter which was authored by three or four other ministers in Scotland, which we sent to the first minister after it had managed to gain 200 signatures of church leaders in Scotland and a further 300 from leaders in the UK just to say on a number of different levels that what they're doing is not right on a on a human, humanitarian, political, and certainly spiritual level. And we would strongly urge you to change this decision quickly. We've also began through the work of Christian Concern to support a legal challenge against what the government have done. Now, this is important, not just because of the COVID situation, but our government in Scotland have been introducing legislation which is literally an attack on, on God. I mean, some of the things they're doing in relation to abortion, the family. Mm. Yeah, it, I mean, it's just it's an abomination. So I'm conscious that as time goes on, if the government are, are getting more and more of a, a foothold in terms of what they can can and cannot tell the church to do, then though this may not be persecution right now, it's going to be very smooth a transition that it will soon become persecution. So I really hope and pray that through what we're doing with this legal challenge, that the courts, whether it be in Scotland or more likely the, the European Courts of Human Rights will say, you cannot close churches, you cannot tell them when they can and cannot worship. And that will be a big win because unfortunately, and this goes back to the, the, the state of the church in Scotland, the majority of Christians that I've I've heard and read in response to this have been appalled at what we're doing. The professing Christians have been appalled at what we're doing. <laughs> and it's been interesting because what, what's happened with these governments is that they've found representatives of church denominations. So, for example, Roman Catholic Church of Scotland, ones that would be liberal and apostate to get their consultation on what should we do with churches? And we were, we were kind of asking out of the ones that are raising this legal challenge, have any of us been asked to be involved in this? And of course, we, <laughs> we certainly don't ask these things. But I mean, th th this gives you a, a little bit of an idea because I, I think another thing that this has highlighted, which has been the biggest sadness in all of it, is that people in churches don't understand the scriptures. They don't understand what church is. Mm. People seem to be fine about doing church online. And as I've tried <laughs> to say repeatedly, church is not an online thing. People think, I'm, oh, you need a building. No, no, it's about the, the gathering of the people. Exactly. I've been spending a long time trying to address this, but it, it shows that people have not been taught about church they don't understand the importance of the local church and they've got such a small view of god that they're more concerned with what they are doing and looking like before a secular government and people on this earth than they are before the living god uh, and so i i realize that this is a minority cause even within christianity in scotland but i passionately believe it's a crucial fight at this time and this is why i and others have been have been involved in this and so please be praying for for us because this is quite Absolutely. an important time we yeah. will pastor yeah yes. yeah and almost that almost sounds like it's a little bit um 
in terms of government overreach um, farther than even here in the U.S., maybe, except for maybe the state of California, which is um, kind of its own world and its own right. But um, but yeah, I think here with the dynamic of having each individual state government being able to set a lot of their own rules, I think um, there's not a lot of monolithic um, implementation of um, these shutdown rules or mass mandates or, or things like that. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with this new administration coming on, uh, where that goes, but, uh, but we'll definitely be in prayer for you brothers on that. Um, yeah. well, one other just very brief thing I should say on this point, and this is a bit of church history in Eastern Europe during the time when, if you've heard of Richard Wurmbrandt and uh, a number of Christians in Eastern Europe who started facing persecution, that, that started in Eastern Europe with liberalizing denominations, working alongside mm. governments uh, in, in a way that wasn't anything explicitly to do with persecution at that point, but it gave almost a green light to start mm. targeting conservative Christianity. And I, I obviously hope and pray that's not going to be the case in Scotland. I think there's legislation which may guard against that, but... Mm. This people need to realize this. This is where where we could go if if we just sit back and say nothing. So so yeah, that's just another additional point. Yeah. So does Scotland have a religious freedom similar to the U.S. or is it is it freedom within a very confined space? So or I guess uh, as the law stands now. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm not an expert with in the law, but I am I am beginning to get an understanding that that there is, there are a couple of uh, kind of live pieces of legislation within the UK government. For example, one is the Church of Scotland Act 1921, which protects the, the rights for churches to not be interfered by the government, get inter interference from the government. That's one thing. There's mm. also within the, the, there's a kind of Article 9 of the kind of European Court of Human Rights, which is basically give, stating that you have the right to, to, to gather to worship. So it's considered a human right. And apparently from my understanding of what I've been told, that, that right is even higher than the right for courts to meet. So a court of oh, law wow. doesn't have the same right as religious groups. So when people say, oh, why should churches be treated differently? Well, first of all, the law says we should be. <laughs> Whether they like it or not. On your own standard. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Pastor Dan, do you have anything else to add? John William is much more uh, of an expert. Uh, we're taking a very similar approach as a as a local church here, but I mean, I, I agree with him in in, in his assessment of, of the church in Scotland, a church in the UK, some weaknesses that we've seen, and the response of evangelical churches. And yeah, just just to repeat, you know, please please pray for us. Please be in prayer about these legal challenges. This letter that was sent to the first minister, that that it would bear fruit, that freedoms could be restored. And that churches would be able to um, to, to gather without interference um, by the state. Uh, I mean, these lockdowns sound good in principle until you realize uh, just how much cost they come with on a human level. Mm. And, 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 and if you tally the, the, the consequences in terms of the general health of the population, the mental health of the population, the economic state, quickly realizing we're getting into a territory where People will be really, really needy, mm -hmm. but but above all of that, you know, we are called to worship the one true God, mm -hmm. to do it as local churches who gather together on the Lord's Day, to 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 sing His praises, to preach His word, 
to break bread and 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 we want to be able to do that without anybody saying well you can't do that mm. Mm. we'll definitely keep you brothers in prayer um and we'll we'll bring it up in our uh, on the lord's day tomorrow at our church that we can be in prayer about that Thank you. um so shifting now to your ministry specifically um parisia is that how you pronounce it parisia parisia okay and yeah, my greek is not good apparently um, so what is the mission of Parisia and um, what do you guys uh, do with that publishing uh, company, the publishing ministry? Yeah, John, John William and I both have a background in, in publishing, but, but, but it's, not, it's not the same sort of background. So mine is I worked. <laughs> yeah. what, what I mean by that is we did different things, but we have some experience in publishing. And, and for me, that was working for the Banner of Truth in the editorial department. So I would copy edit and, and typeset books. And for John William, that is writing books. So he wrote a couple of books, one on uh, just kind of as an introduction to, to, to the Christian faith and, and, and the Christian life. And then uh, the, the second one, which was uh, published just a few months ago on marriage. Mm. And so one of the projects I was working on at the, at the banner was a new edition of the Westminster standards that would include the scripture proofs. And it was a big project and it was, it was a project that was challenging, but I, I really enjoyed it, but I'm a Baptist. So while I was working on it, I thought it would be great to have an edition like that available for Baptists. You know, one that takes very seriously that we're aiming to have a, a product be of a good quality uh, to look nice, to be user friendly. Mm. Um, to, to be a product that kind of on the whole aims at a very high standard. And so that kind of kept simmering in my mind and I would eventually go on to help John William with a second book. Uh, so I, I typeset that book so we could send it out to publishers in, an, in a nice format. And while we were working on it, we started playing around with the idea of, of starting our own publisher. Mm. And for long story short, that's kind of what we ended up last summer that we said, hey, let's go for it. Uh, let's do it. And let's start with a new edition of the uh, London Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689 Confession. And let's put it on Kickstarter so that we can see if, if, if people like the idea. We're not going to have a problem getting the project funded. And, and if they don't, then we've not really lost any money. So it was a safe mm -hmm. way for us to um, to gauge the interest that people might have, but also uh, to to start a business. And that's what we eventually did. We started a business. We had our Kickstarter campaign. We were fully funded in, is it 33 or 36 hours after kind of making it uh, public. So there was, there was a, a level of interest that we did not anticipate we would have and we almost reached kind of three times of the initial funding goal mm. that we have. And, and all it is is a, it's a new edition of the, of the Confession of Faith that includes the, the text of the Confession with very, very little in terms of modernizing it alongside the, the scripture proofs from the authorized version uh, so that people would have them there not as a crutch in order for them to keep their Bibles closed, but, but as a help in, in reading and studying the Confession of Faith. And we also kind of alongside that offered a companion volume that initially included um, 
the, 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 the Baptist catechism was often uh, called Keech's catechism or Keech most likely did not have anything to do with it. And, um, and then also a, a book by Benjamin Keech, A Short Confession of Faith, which is kind of an abbreviation of the 1689 confession. And uh, since then we've kind of added one because it was a stretch goal in our Kickstarter campaign, which is Hercules Collins' An Orthodox Catechism. Mm. So we have those two books and uh, we, we, we were successful on Kickstarter and we're now just in the process of kind of finishing the work on these books, hopefully seeing them in print in the very near future so that we'll be able to ship them out to those who've backed us on Kickstarter in, um, in, in the coming months. Now, we've had a lot of people support us all over the world. A lot of people in America did, and, and we're excited that so many people have been so supportive in, in what we're doing. And, and we're hoping that this is just the beginning, that we're able not just to see two books in print that would have great value, I think, for Christians, for churches, uh, for church leaders, but we're hoping that we'll be able to publish more books in the future so that we can be a blessing to the church. Hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate that you guys are focusing on like the uh, the scripture references in the confession because I think we tend to breeze over those when we're reading the confession because they're in the footnotes. We just take at face value what the writers of the confession are saying. But I think that will help maybe people to see that these truths are not just the writings of men. They are grounded in scripture and that's where they're derived from. Um, so I, I think that will be very helpful um, for study and for those learning the confession. That, yeah, that, that's exactly our hope, that it's a, it's a useful edition, that, that it's a beautiful edition, one that people can have and, and use for a long time. Because we're not just trying to produce a book that you, that you put on your shelf and then forget about it, but, mm. but one that is useful. I think if, if you uh, think about your Bible, that is a book that you should crack open every day. Mm. It's, 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 it's not decoration. It's meant to be used. It's meant to be read. And I don't want to put any, any other Christian writing on the same level, but when we come to a book like The Confession, uh, which is so foundational for how we understand ourselves as Christians and, 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 and which is so helpful in kind of summarizing what we believe about the Bible, we don't just want to read it once and then say, yeah, I agree with it. I'm a Reformed Baptist now and then move <laughs> on. But, but we do want to get back to it to almost like a compass to always go back and find true north in mm. what the confession of faith uh, um, writes. And, and I think that is such a helpful, it's such a helpful document that we should use it. Makes sense. Yeah. I can say over here that Christianity in general is not very uh, doctrinally minded, um, especially within a uh, Baptist circle. So mm -hmm. to have a confession can be very. Uh... John, you're still there. You broke up, buddy. No, oh, I think we lost Sean. Um, so I'll go ahead and, and we can move on with the next question. Um, so. Do you guys plan, I, I know you just talked about Daniel, Pastor Daniel um, possibly moving on to more works or printing more, publishing more works. Do you think there will be um, other, maybe older particular Baptist works that you guys might be looking at in the future? So, so we're, 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 we're at quite a, an important stage as a publisher because we've obviously finished the Kickstarter. We, we, we've managed mm. to 
kind of get get some funds together that would go towards that initial print run if you like but we obviously also want to think about well these these books could be a means of generating money for further works which is now what we're beginning to plan so we're, we're trying to put together a, a, a sort of business plan to, to think about how we, we we would go about that because we do have the idea to bring release other works even maybe even a couple this year depending on how things progress i guess at this point we we need to establish what what we're doing in america because we're obviously based in the uk we've got a market in america how it is that we would be aiming to distribute and even sell books in america we do mm -hmm. intend to set up a, a, an online shop as well via our website and when things are a bit more open and free via distributors in local bookshops and the like and i think that will help us to just get a better gauge but we, we we do we do have ideas of 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 writings that are in the public domain that have not been released or certainly they've not been released in a, in a kind of quality edition i guess that the difficulty with this question is we're we're not quite at a stage to be announcing what what we're what we're thinking about um, fair enough yeah hopefully didn't put you on the spot <laughs> yeah yeah we're, i mean we, we we will be hopefully soon but we, we we need to get the kind of business side in place first sure. so yeah and and that's kind of where we're at but certainly what we aimed to do via the Kickstarter was not only see if we could get a confession out there that might be a blessing to many, but would this also be the platform with which to go on and establish ourselves as a publisher? And I think we've got a number of pieces in place. We had a product that was marketable and it was wanted by a number of people. We also therefore now have a, a market with which to reach people. We're clear about what we are theologically we're also clear, relatively speaking, in the type of works we would look to produce on a historical and a contemporary level, things that would be interesting on an academic level, but also can be a rich blessing in the context of a local church. I think especially any contemporary works that are written, we would want them to be at, a, if you like, a, a pew level so that this can be a means by which church members can can read something that's that's accessible and it would be a means of guiding and you, enabling them to serve in their local churches so that these are kind of some some big points about what we would be looking to release in terms of purpose and objectives all right um so you guys have a conference coming up this year on the uh, 1689 would you want to talk about that yeah, the, the conference was mostly kind of John Williams' brainchild. Uh, he, he came up with the idea a few months ago of, you know, what if we what if we did a conference? And in talking about it, we thought it would be a great idea as a thank you to our Kickstarter backers to, to put on a conference, uh, to do it online, which at the moment we're kind of forced to do anyway. Uh, but it gives us the added benefit that, that we can have people join us from the US, from Canada, from Australia, and, and other places. And so we uh, asked a number of uh, men if, if they'd be willing to speak. Um, and, and they all graciously agreed. So we have uh, Michael Haken and Tom Nettles and uh, Jeremy Walker uh, from here in the UK um, all speak about the kind of historical and then also the contemporary significance of the confession of faith. 
And so that takes place, uh, God willing, uh, beginning on the 28th of January, Thursday night in, in the UK. Uh, we, we're trying to figure out what, uh, how best to proceed with a conference that would include people from presumably so many different time zones. So it's <laughs> Thursday night our time, Friday night our time, and then Saturday afternoon, evening. Uh, for you, that would be a lot earlier in the day. But we have a, a number of sessions. We have a Q&A session. And like I said, it was really meant as a thank you for our Kickstarter backers. But people can um, people can sign up for the conference online on our website. Uh, there's a great uh, book bundle deal uh, that where you can get the, the confession and conference registration for uh, 30 pounds, uh, whatever that is in, in US dollars. I'm, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure the second. Um, but but so we're hoping that many many will be able to to join us and and benefit from a, a conference kind of setting out what it what it means to be a Reformed Baptist in the twenty first century and what role the confession plays in that vision. Where um, where are listeners able to get a little bit more information about Parousia if they're interested, and uh, where would they be able to get a copy of the sixteen eighty nine? That you guys are publishing so i guess checking out our website parisiabooks.org gives you a, a chance to see a little bit about our our history and we've had a number of people including like for example michael haken writing blog articles on either historic historical or contemporary topics surrounding our confession we mainly look to release an initial series of articles in line with that Kickstarter project so you can see that we've also been involved in some podcasts so there's bits and pieces there but although we don't have a, a an online shop set up just yet we do have the bundle deal that Daniel's just mentioned so if people want to get a copy of the confession then I would probably suggest well go for the conference as well it's only 30 pounds which is a, is a pretty good deal given the fact that the confession itself would be would be worth quite a, a decent amount of that anyway. So that would be one option. The 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 book is the confession is available to pre-order in on one or two websites. I mean in the, the UK there's like for example Waterstones. I think maybe it's it's on platforms like Barnes and Noble perhaps. So it's mm -hmm. some of these mainstream ones where you can pre-order it. But at, at at this stage obviously if people wanted to even just give us an email contact at parasiabooks.org that would be another way in which they could communicate with us. And, and I guess following us on Facebook and Twitter, it's Parasia1689 on both of these social media handles will be a way to just get updates. We've also got a, a mailing list you can sign up to, which will give you information about not only the, the Confession Project and the Companion Doctrine book, but further works that we've got. So these would be some of the, the things that I would suggest at this stage would be worth kind of keeping an eye on following what we're doing. And as, as the year progresses, things will hopefully become a little bit more kind of fixed and settled in terms of like buying books and new works and that type of thing. All right. Well, Pastor John Noble, Pastor Daniel, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, it's definitely been a blessing and encouragement to my heart to talk with other like-minded brothers. Um, I feel like we're so close, even though we're so far because mm -hmm. of our, our common faith. So I, I appreciate you guys joining us today. It's been a blessing. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, it's been great. All right. And with that, everyone, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Lord willing, we will be back uh, on Wednesday, the 20th, uh, to continue our discussion through an Orthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins. Until then, take care.
God bless.